Welcome to Engaged Company Culture, a podcast directed at you, helping you to stop the employee exodus in your organization. This podcast has three different types of episodes. First, you have tips, tricks, observations, stories, research from me, Dr. Katherine Weiberg of Profitable Alignment. Second, interviews with other consultants, other coaches who are here to serve you so you can learn other tips and tricks to engaging your employees, to stop the employee exodus, to consciously create and continue a company culture where people want to be and where they encourage other people to come to work and to become your customers. Third, I interview other business leaders who have engaged company cultures and want to share their stories. You might learn from them how they have applied principles of company culture to increase their employee retention, increase their profits, increase their productivity, and increase everyone's job satisfaction. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In this episode of Engaged Company Culture, my guest is Marilyn McLeod of Global Mindset Leadership. Marilyn worked closely with Marshall Goldsmith for 15 years and Gary Ranker for 10 years, learning behind the scenes from world-renowned coaches who specialize in stakeholder-centered coaching. Besides being a coach herself, she is the publisher of Celebrating Coaches magazine, bringing the wisdom of coaches to other coaches and celebrating the coaching industry. Marilyn, thank you so much for agreeing to be on Engaged Company Culture. Welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. I love talking with you. (laughs) Well, the feeling is mutual, so we are going to have a bunch of fun. I'd like to know a little bit about what led you to doing Coaches Magazine and what you enjoy doing as a coach? Well, Coaches Magazine, um, I've become aware in recent years of the perspective I have on the coaching industry that I think is pretty unique. So I started working with Gary and Marshall uh, years ago, and they started working with coaching. They were some of the original executive coaches in the world. They actually, uh, Gary Ranker and I, I I told him, you know, you really need a signature book to describe your role as a pioneer in the coaching industry. So we wrote that book and, uh, and he really, that was his favorite book. He was really proud of it. We had a, a graphic artist do the design. The publisher was really impressed and the content is great. So I'm really happy with that book. But it, so he started uh, working with Jack Welsh in the 1980s. And uh, so his story is that um, back then, Jack Welsh, of course, you know, had his ways of wanting to be more efficient with GE and save money and save whatever. And he had these uh, global leaders in his organization around the world that were kind of more command and control. And uh, it kind of wasn't working. So he brought in Gary to uh, see if he could find some way to help these guys learn a new way. And 
and kind of try it out. So that's kind of where all this stakeholder-centered coaching started. And Marshall was also involved with Jack Welsh about the same time. I don't know exactly what his story was at the time. And I'm sure there were other people. They weren't the only people in the world doing coaching, but that's where Gary started and that's where Jack Welsh started. So the 360 idea is actually something that I was kind of thinking about before I met Marshall and Gary. So that's why it resonated with me. I thought, you know, you really need to know what's going on with your people as it relates to you instead of just plowing out there doing whatever you think is going to work. But how you don't, if you don't know what's going on with the people around you or with your organization, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of inefficiencies, including loss of money and frustration and losing good people. And so that's why I love this 360 thing. So the, the, the way it works uh, is that if there's a person who's chosen to be coached, maybe a high potential person in the, in the organization that maybe has a few rough edges or something isn't quite working with the, the team. And so I, as the coach, would meet with that person and say, well, who, who are your key stakeholders? And come up with a list of up to 12 or so, and then go to the manager and say, what do you think? And get their approval on the final list of stakeholders. Then I go talk to each stakeholder and I say, okay, what is this person doing well? What could they improve? And if you were their coach, what would you tell them? And I take verbatim notes, word for word, and I try and elicit comments that are going to be specific behavioral descriptions, like when you do such and such, whatever, so that because otherwise the person being coached, they really don't have any idea how they can improve if they don't know the specific behavior that's bugging everybody around them. So then I'm taking my notes and after I've talked to everybody, I organize those notes into uh, the behaviors that were brought up. And this is all very anonymous. And if some people use specific words that were identify them, I change those words so that it really is anonymous. And, and then I put it into a plain uh, documents so it doesn't have anything fancy on it doesn't have my information it's just plain information that I can discuss with that person being coached without there being any um, bad feelings or fears or anything we're just going to talk about what I heard and a lot of times it's a surprise to them <laughs> and they want to they want to they want to uh, explain why and debate this and I go well okay but this is what they're saying so it doesn't really matter what's true or not. This is their perception. Mm -hmm. And we want the perception to be more positive. So let's, let's, so then we talk about them. And, and as Marshall says, I mean, he used to have people choose three goals to work on for the year, but he kind of ended up with one. So mm -hmm. you choose the main one. So you can really just focus on one at a time. And maybe you have a couple of others on, on a shelf in case you get that one figured out. So um, we choose the goal, we go to the manager, get approval on the goal. And then we go to the stakeholders and say, well, listen, we would love to be able to fix everything that you brought up, but we can only do one at a time. So here's what we're gonna focus on. And then the, um, the way this uh, methodology works then is that the person who's being coached then goes to each of the stakeholders for just a little five minute conversation at that each month and says, okay, what am I doing well? And what could, how could I improve? Writes down everything verbatim, says thank you, doesn't try to 
analyze or deal with the criticism or anything just says thank you that's it that's all mm -hmm. I can say write it all down and then and then the coach I talk with the person being coached and we go through all their notes and see how they can you know kind of work with what they're getting back so that's oh. that's the process so we're working with perception I I think that is fantastic I love the whole idea of you shared with when Jack Welch was back in the 80s and was trying to make changes, he had a command and control approach that he wanted to overcome. And then you described getting input and getting really getting people's honest to goodness, sincere thoughts, which is vastly different from a command and control perspective. I love your approach of going to all of the stakeholders. That's something that I personally believe in as well. Who is affected and how do they feel about it? Culture is all about perception. So when you're talking about trying to adjust the perception of the employees, the, the, the rank and file employees, frontline employees, the managers, the leaders, and potentially even external customers as stakeholders and looking at how do they perceive it? Because the culture that is perceived is the culture that is grown and the culture that is developed. So I love that you're working on perception. I also love that you talk about receiving the feedback and simply saying thank you. Instead of automatically trying to rebut, trying to refute, it's thank you. And then the person who was sharing the feedback is heard, is not berated, is not belittled, and realizes, okay, I can say things that the other person might not like, that my manager or my leader by title might not like, and I'll be heard without repercussions. It's important to create safety. Yes. And one of the ways as an external coach, people seem to be more willing to be honest with me because mm -hmm. I'm not part of their political structure. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, they hopefully trust me enough to tell me the truth. Yes. And I tell them that the, all this feedback is going to be anonymous. And, uh, and I try not to say, well, I might say, well, I've, I've heard this from some others. <laughs> I yeah. might say that much, but I'm careful. Yeah. Well, and that can even help as the leaders are choosing their first goal to work on is how many people are saying this, that, and the other. How many people are making similar suggestions? Because maybe that's where I should focus first. If I want to change my culture, if I want to change my leadership style, if I want my employees to enjoy work, maybe I need to focus on what my employees are saying on mass to be able to help them and to be able to move it forward. So being able to identify that and still keeping it anonymous, I think would be quite helpful. And you know, all of this great, this is great feedback and it informs a leader's decisions, but it doesn't have to change the leader's decisions. I mean, so the leader, is 
working from their point of view in terms of how to lead the organization and mm-hmm. how to work with the market that changes and, mm-hmm. and all of those decisions that they make and some of the feedback that might come from people might seem to suggest don't make that decision or don't make the decision you're making but you know it it may still be the right decision for the organization but if the leader knows what the perception is then he can work with the perception and help their pe- yeah. his people understand so that they're more behind the initiative that he's trying to get working. I love that. It doesn't have to change the leader's decision. I love that you said that. It just helps the leader make a more informed decision. And then perhaps the decision remains the same, but the presentation of the decision to the people it affects changes. It- I- and, and maybe the decision is right, but maybe the support structure hasn't been created for the, his people to, I mean, who knows, but this is part of what can be under, um, uncovered mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. this process. And, and uh, you know, if the, if, well, and Gary, this was stakeholder-centered coaching is um, a Marshall uh, idea. So he, mm. he coined this and this, what I just described was exactly what he does. But Gary um, has a similar process and what he does or did, he's retired now, um, he would go to the CEO and he would, he would really get to know the CEO. He loved to dig, dig deep into the organization and he would find out what the CEO's agenda really was. And then while he's mm-hmm. doing these interviews, he can hear how that's reflected and received and supported by these people. Mm-hmm. And so then he, without being, without breaking confidentiality, he can go back and give the CEO some information about how all that's being received and then get the CEO's response. And maybe the CEO can change a few things in the organization to work better. And then, but then Gary can go back and forth and kind of, what did he call it? Um, I forget. He would be between the two people um, they didn't have to talk to each other. Things, to say, you know, things that they wouldn't say to each other, he could be the go-between and, mm. and create that safety. And it really helped the organization improve. Oh, that is fantastic. Sometimes to have that intermediary to maybe even act as a, as a mediator is fantastic because it takes out what could be raw emotion. It takes out what could be reaction to interaction and people can say okay i'm being heard i'm being recognized i don't like this that or the other but i'm being i'm being heard and oh that's what the ceo meant that's not what i understood sometimes right. that translator can be very helpful and the ceo if he hears hears a few key words he might just get his blinders on and only hear a small portion of what was really being meant. Mm-hmm. And so as the coach, I've just heard what they really meant and I can help him understand maybe a little, a broader picture. Now the other person, the third person that I've really been inspired by is Alan Mulally, who was the CEO of Ford during the really, during the 2000, 2008, 2009 um, crisis. And mm. he was, he, he led Ford during a time that uh, the other auto companies got a bailout and he didn't get the bailout. 
he uh, he he's an amazing person. Yeah, he was CEO of the year that year, deservedly so. Um, so what he did is he came into an existing organization that was really kind of in trouble, and uh, the organization, the culture was toxic. People didn't trust each other, mm -hmm. and he came in and he initiated these department meetings where all the heads of the departments would come together and he would say, okay, how's everything going? And it would be red light, green light, yellow light. So everything's oh. good, everything's bad, something, you know, it's in process. So the first meetings, everybody said everything was great. Huh? <laughs> and he said, okay, so I guess you mean that you're okay with losing this much money. <laughs> every <laughs> Good for him. And, and they were all scared to say the truth. And this one guy finally said, yeah, we're having a little trouble. And Alan just really supported him and said, great, because everybody was scared to tell the truth, right? But Honestly. Alan just really supported this guy and appreciated that he told the truth. And that started the beginnings of them really telling the truth to each other. And then they would be able to find solutions. And if one department didn't have the solution, they would be talking to the other department heads and they'd all give ideas. And um, yeah, he really turned, turned it around during a really tough time. That is huge. That's amazing. It shows that a culture can change, that yeah. leadership can create opportunity, that when people learn to trust each other, that they become engaged, that they create solutions, that they find ways to make improvement, and that they can enjoy their work. When the leader creates safety. Yes, safety is huge. I completely agree. Because I've seen plenty of toxic environment cultures where there might be pockets where people felt safe. But then there were pockets where people were not feeling safe at all. And, and that dichotomy became an infection. But when it was recognized that, oh, this segment over here has some toxic things going on, but we want to remove the toxicity and get people back on board with what brought them here in the first place, then changes could happen. Once it was recognized, then safety could be created. Whether personnel had to change or training had to change or perspective had to change, safety could be created so that people would say, oh, I remember why I came here. I remember what got me excited about this job in the first place. Now I feel safe. Now I feel valued. And I like it here. I can enjoy this. I can build. Stress levels go down, productivity goes up because people are more willing to work with each other. Yeah, health improves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Innovation can happen. It's amazing. Yeah. So what do you like best about your work, Marilyn? Well, that leads me to <laughs> my, my uh, tagline basically, which is this is your day. This is your day. These are your moments. And they're your precious moments. Now, other people are going to want to you to spend your resources, your time and your resources today on their agenda. And for your own reasons, you may choose to do at least some of that. But just remember, that's your choice. And so it, these are your precious moments. You're not going to get them back. 
So know what's really important to you, know what your values are, what really matters to you, and get at least some moments of your day filled with those things. And then I, I suggest that leaders take heed of this as well. And if you know what your values are, if you know what really matters to you, it, ideally your whole day can be filled having, having that fill everything you do, having that fill your leadership, having that fill how you interact with your, your coworkers, how, it inter, how you, the work products that you create can all be aligned with what matters to you, but that's ideal. That's probably not likely in a corporate environment where you're not in charge and you're a cog in the wheel and you're, you know, there might be political issues, you know, there, who knows. But, but try to get as much of that in as you can. And I think as leaders, if you can be aware of what matters to you and be as aligned as possible, then you may be more likely to be empathetic to the people in your organization and hear them and be actually maybe sincerely curious about what makes them tick and see how much of that you can build into the culture when, it's, when it supports the culture. And so, um, yeah, I would just say, be aware of that. And also, um, I know one of your questions about success was about success and failure. And I'd just like to address that a little bit. So um, I suggest that people reconsider how they define success. So I, I think a lot of us are well-educated well and part of that education is you gotta get that grade. And, and leaders, I mean, the reality is if you're a leader of a com company that's got shareholders, they want their money. They, and, and so that's part of the reality, but um, all the same, think about what really matters to you in terms of being successful. And maybe if you have to play the game a bit, um, don't take it personally. If, if uh, you're not measuring up to whatever standards really don't fit you. In, in the first place. So if you can be honest with yourself about that, I think that reduces stress quite a bit. And it helps you maybe lean more towards more humane choices that can make the world a better place and certainly improve your own life and those are the people that work with you. I loved that. I love what you just said. There were three things that just really jumped out at me. First, your tagline, this is your day. And then also looking at your values, living up to your values, knowing your values, and what is your definition of success? Years ago in a job interview, I was asked, what is your ideal day? Now that's a common question, but it really hit me that day and I had to really stop and think about it. Now, everybody's ideal day can be different. For some people, it's checking things off of a to-do list. For some people, it's making a boatload of money. For me, I discovered it is a day in which I learned something, a day in which I taught somebody something, and a day in which I helped somebody. I've discovered that that can go all over the place. And that does look at my values. It looks at how I define success. I love that you brought that out because we can get caught up in what society claims as successful or what an organization claims as successful, but we want to find our own success 
in our definition and how does that align with our organization? How does that align with our team? How does that fit? How can my success and your success line up to help each other? What and and really taking the time, it's your day. I just love that. Well, that was fantastic. And the other side of that then is failure. So if you're not if you're not living up to whatever you've decided, maybe maybe you're not buying into the external definitions of success. Maybe you do have your own and you're real clear about it, but maybe you just can't quite get there, you know? Mm -hmm. You keep trying, you keep trying, you keep trying, and you think you're failing. And after a while, I mean, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but there's some things I keep trying. And mm -hmm. what do I tell myself after 10, 15, 100, 1,000 tries, right? <laughs> and what I tell myself is, I'm learning. What did I learn? And how would I do it differently? And I kind of look at it as, as an experiment. It's kind of a bonus. We're here in the world. We get to try things. We bring our our personalities and our skills and what we care about and our our resources and what's around us and our our ambitions our visions mm -hmm. um and and we we do whatever we do with them and you know we can change at any moment mm -hmm. if something doesn't work i mean there's the thing about um sunk costs just because you've been doing something for a long time and put a lot into it doesn't mean you have to continue. You could stop and go, huh? Oh, well, <laughs> I guess that didn't work <laughs> that way. And um, how could I start again and walk away from it? And mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe it's resources that sit on your shelf. I know people, I help people write and self-publish their books. And I'm working with a woman right now who we started working a couple of years ago and she had her idea. She was corporate and uh, had been doing coaching for a while and wanted to put what she learned about her corporate world that she was bringing into her coaching into a book. I thought it was a great idea. So we started doing that. And after a while, she was getting more in touch with her human side. And um, she said, there's this other book too. And I said, well, you know, don't squelch it. Let's, let's, if, if that's where the energy is, let's at least outline it. Right. Yes. So she ended up putting her first book on the shelf and, and now her second books on the shelf. But now we're coming back because in the meantime, she's discovered a lot about herself mm. and, uh, and now she's actually doing some work with some clients, kind of, she's, she's tried a group, group coaching, and she's kind of learning with the give and take of that group of to what, how much, I mean, she can, she can check so much value into this much time and they can't take it all in. So she's learning how much they, they can really take in. And she's learning how to teach what she knows. And now mm. she's coming back to, you know, that book that we put on the shelf a couple of years ago, let's bring that back out. And oh. uh, I mean, it, it's a resource that she created. And mm -hmm. so she can just, you know, I think especially she, she kind of had a brain dump of what her corporate world gave her, mm -hmm. but she didn't want to live there, but she had the brain dump and she documented it. And now that's, that's a great resource for her. So anyway, it, it may not look like a success in the moment, but you never know where things are going to go. Mm -hmm. It's true because success, it leaves clues. And sometimes it is for some, it's something that you perceived as a failure. I once heard 
fail turned into an acronym, first attempt in learning. I have changed that to further attempt in learning. Oh, I like that. And I think it could even be further approaches in learning because it is a different way to look at it. You can say, what did I learn? What can I do differently? Is this something that I have so many sunk costs that I just need to let them be sunk and I need to go elsewhere? Or is this something that I can build on and learn from and move forward with? Is it something that goes on the shelf for a couple of years and then maybe comes back as I have more information to add to it? And it can be a way to move forward. And sometimes, sorry, go ahead. Sometimes we can't see, you know, we're we're in this thing that we've put so much into and we know it's going to work, but we can't quite figure out how and we just kind of get stuck there. So mm-hmm. sometimes setting it aside and really clear, cleansing your mind um, can give you a whole new perspective on what that means. Exactly. And that's even something we can do in organizations, something we can do with stakeholders, with leaders, and, and everybody just looking and saying, okay, this hasn't worked. Why hasn't it worked? If we don't know why it hasn't worked, maybe we just need to try something else. And maybe we'll come to understand why this didn't work, or maybe we won't, but we'll find something else that does work. And we'll just keep moving forward. We'll keep getting the feedback from our stakeholders. We'll keep learning. We'll keep adjusting the perceptions and we'll take care of this. And that really speaks to the agile approach of iterative, you know, minimum viable product, where you start out with a lot of communication with everybody involved in the process, including the product owner, the customer, and and the people working on the project. And you just get daily feedback even and make make incremental progress and then have your minimum viable product and deliver that, get feedback on that and then iterate from that. So that's another way to look at it. That's perfect, I love it. So Marilyn, what is the very best way for people to reach out to you if they want to learn more about your approach and even Coaching Magazine? Well, uh, coachmarilyn.com and you spell Marilyn like Marilyn Monroe. C-O-A-C-H-M-A-R-I-L-Y-N.com. And so that has the types of coaching that I do related to stakeholder-centered coaching. And, you know, I'll put a link on there to my magazine as well. So the magazine, I didn't even talk about. My my purpose for the magazine is that I see, well, number one, I see the evolution since I worked with people who actually started executive coaching. And then I'm working now with people who are I mean, I'm in coaching groups and there's every kind of coach you can imagine doing every kind of coaching. And so it's (laughs) it's blossomed, it's evolved into this. And I want to document that. First of all, I want to document the evolution. Second thing is I see that our, our world is pretty polarized. And I think we need people in the communities who can help other people understand how to get along with each other, how to communicate. And coaches are Kind of are, are one of those resources and so and coaches can get burned out and it's a tough mm-hmm. it's a tough world out there right now and so um number one i want to support coaches i want to promote coaches and i want coaches to share their wisdom with other coaches so that we all improve that's my purpose that is perfect thank you so much of everything that we've covered in this conversation and we've done quite a bit Is there something that you 
most want listeners and viewers to remember? Yeah, I'd like you to not get discouraged. Um, if you, okay, okay, this is why I have the background I have. This is the Hubble Space uh, Telescope took this deep field uh, photo years ago and they pointed the telescope to an area of the sky that was just black. They figured nothing was there. And uh, this is what Hubble saw. And um, relate this stars and beauty. Yeah, and relate this to, um, like right now, the sky is overcast. I'm in San Diego, but it's gray sky, right? But mm -hmm. I know that above that cloud, there's a blue sky. Mm. I just don't see it. Sometimes the clouds part and I see it. But we get in our, we get in uh, situations in our lives where we kind of think that there's there's dead end there's a dead end somehow or there's mm. nothing there and I just like you to think about maybe there's something there that we just don't see yet mm. you know and that that's an encouraging thought for me sometimes. Thank you, Marilyn. That is absolutely beautiful. I. I found a great value in this conversation. I hope that everybody who is listening or viewing also finds value and thinks about how can you, listener or viewer, improve your perception, your perception of your situations and your perception of what you want to accomplish and how can you help bring others along. Marilyn, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to or viewing today's Engaged Company Culture episode. I hope you have enjoyed the episode. I hope you have learned something and have something that you can apply today to engage your company culture and encourage your employees to enjoy work. Looking forward to Mondays instead of only looking forward to Fridays. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone else you know. Also, like and subscribe to Engaged Company Culture anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you and have a wonderful day.